Uh, it tells us how we can be saved. I think that's one of the greatest things that God's ever given to man, is this thing of salvation. And then it tells us how we're to live once we are saved. Aren't we glad He does that too? Uh, be honest with you, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. But I don't know about y'all's will. My will oftentimes is so strong that I don't always hear or understand the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm glad that there is a black and white printed book that I can hold in my hands that lets me know the heart of God and lets me know what He wants in my life and what He doesn't want in my life. And both are needful, amen? Both what we're to do and what we're not to do. And uh, I'm thankful He gave us His Word. I'm thankful we can be assured that we hold in our hands the preserved, infallible, inspired Word of God. And uh, we thank the Lord for that here in our King James Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter number 9. And uh, I want to share just a couple of thoughts uh, this morning by way of the testimony of the Apostle Paul as he gets saved. I am thankful that God gives us salvation. I fear oftentimes, I was listening a number of years ago, to an evangelist preach, and he made a statement I had never really thought of before, and he said, if God could open our spiritual eyes and allow us to see the hearts of men who are saved and who are not, he said, it would shock us how many people sit in the pews of our churches lost. And I thought, oh, what a, what a travesty. So many people that uh, come to church, they open their Bibles, they have uh, involved themselves, they have convinced their hearts that because they are in church and because they enjoy even maybe enjoy going to church and they've done it for many, many years or they got baptized as a young child or they grew up in a Christian home and they just have always understood these things, they think that that's the reason that they're saved. Can I tell you, if that's what you're holding to, brother and sister, you're not saved. You are not saved. You've not trusted yet the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You've not come to a place where you realize you cannot save yourself. I am appalled sometimes, even in my own life, as I look back and realize that it took 13 years for me to recognize that. And I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up hearing this thing week in and week out every single week, three, four times a week. And it took 13 years. And I think if it took me that long, hearing it week in and week out, it's possible somebody can sit in the preaching of God's Word for years and be lost. They can, they can clean up nice. They can wear a suit. They can carry a Bible. They can even carry the right Bible. The only Bible. They can come to church and they can amen and preach and hear the preaching and smile and enjoy the fellowship. They can clean up their life outwardly and live a morally clean life. And still be lost. You say, how do you know? Because I did it for 13 years. I have first-hand knowledge of that. My burden as a pastor oftentimes is to get the folks that God has given our church to love Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their might. That's my motivation. That's one of the things I really strongly believe is the key to pastoring people. If I can get folks to have the love for the Lord that they ought to have, they'll love His Word. They'll want to get into it. They'll want to study it. They'll want to learn it. 
they'll listen to the preaching, the teaching of God's Word, and respond appropriately to it if the love is right. But my fear, my fear over the years has been that in all the times I've stood in the pulpit and preached to hear, have people hear the message, how many of them will continue over the years to hear the message and leave lost? My goal this morning is not to try to get you to doubt your salvation. That's not it at all. But there does have to be a point in our life where we realize that we're lost and we are sinners. We are condemned already. John 3.18 tells us that. We don't have to do anything to become lost. We are lost. We're born in a sinful condition, in a sinful nature. And we cannot do anything to gain our salvation of ourselves. I don't care how much you love church. I don't care how much you love the Bible. I don't care how much you love the fellowship of God's people. I don't care how many churches you've been involved with. I don't care how much you give to missions. I don't care how much you've been baptized or... Uh, are all of these things that you've been involved in. If you've taught Sunday school or you've sung in the choir or you've served in some capacity in a church in a leadership level, I don't care about any of that any more than I care about have you trusted Christ as your Savior. For people can do all of those things and still be lost. Paul, I think, is a prime example. Here's a man who sincerely believed with all of his heart. I believe that when Paul, when Saul, before his name was, before he's called Paul in the Scriptures, I really believe that with all of his heart, he loved God. I have no doubt of that. In fact, he was so zealous for God that he thought, that these Christians were infidels and that they were uh, those that were heretics. And to protect and to show his zealousness for God, the love that he had for God. And in their ignorance, he began to arrest these people and to put them to death and be consenting to their death and to their beatings and the persecution that they were suffering under. If you were to go to Saul before he had his Damascus Road experience, and say, do you love God? I believe he would be one of the most zealous of the zealous in his love for God. If you went to him and said, do you think that you're going to be in heaven one of these days and go to heaven? I think he would tell you flat out, I believe I'm going to be there. I think he would point to the things that he was doing that he thought was for the cause of Christ. Or for the cause of God. Not Christ, but for God. I think he would be zealous of those things. And he has the Damascus Road experience. He has that eye-opening time where God finally gets his attention. I wonder what it takes to get somebody's attention sometimes. Your attention or mine. What does God have to do to, to get us to that point? In this case, here's Saul going down the road. And as we begin to read in chapter number 1, I want you to listen to the account. What God did to get Saul's attention. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. When I read verse number 1, I am amazed at the love of the Savior. I just absolutely am. Look what what verse number 1 says. And Saul, 
not having breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. But he says here, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. The one who Saul is persecuting, the one that Saul is taking his followers and putting them to death, and it wasn't something that he used to do, it was something he was right then doing. Jesus looks down, and He still loved him. Can I tell you this? There's not one thing that you can do sin-wise that would cause God to stop loving you. Not one. His desire was for Saul to be saved, and it says in verse number two, and desired of him letters of, to go letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? Look at the next word here. Me. Could you imagine somebody persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ? Put yourself in the place, if you could, at Calvary. In a few weeks here we'll be celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be focusing during that time period, as we often do that time of year, on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But put yourself in that time period. Standing there on the side of Golgotha as the cross is raised, and you being one of His accusers that falsely accused Him, or you being uh, one of those that was part of the crucifixion party that uh, was uh, responsible for putting Him on the cross, and lifting that cross into place. And even the soldiers that did the beatings, and even the soldiers that ran the nails through His hands, he looked to the Father and said, Father, forgive them. Can I tell you this? If you're here today and you are lost and have not trusted Christ as your Savior, it is not because God has not loved you with an everlasting love. Because He certainly has. For a man to say, well, I can't get saved, I, I certainly don't deserve it. God never expected us to deserve it. He gave us His love anyway. In spite of us, Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He falls to the earth and he hears Christ say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? I love that statement. That amazing thought. Here's Saul who... I think probably suspects that he cries out, Who art thou? And he adds the title Lord in the end of it. And I think of that statement often as I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that Paul fully understood everything at that exact instant, although I think it's starting to dawn on him. But one thing I think Paul did know is it doesn't matter who this is, from this point forward he's going to be Lord. Because he certainly has that power to be so. He certainly is worthy of it. I certainly will submit to His authority. 
He calls him Lord. Jesus speaks to him and he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. By the way, it's hard for any of us to do that, isn't it? You hear that you're lost and you've been coming to church, you've been reading your Bible, you've enjoyed the time of fellowship, but you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. You're kicking against the pricks. Christ says it's hard for you to do that. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. Neither did eat or drink, eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Aren't you glad for the Ananiases of this world? This disciple, Ananias, the Bible says, And to him saith the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. This isn't our message today, but when God leads our hearts, our will ought to be already so submitted to Him that we say, Here, my Lord. Well, you haven't even heard what I want yet. It doesn't matter, Lord. Whatever it is, my answer is already yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could live with a will so surrendered to God that when He calls, He said, we say, here am I. Doesn't matter what you ask me to do, Lord. My answer is yes. I'll do it. He says, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel. You know, the greatest and one of the most amazing miracles to me of salvation is that God loves us in spite of our sin. But only second to that truth is this that amazes me so much. As undone as we are, as sinful condition as we are, God chooses us to do His work. Uh, we who are frail, we who still battle the flesh, we who are imperfect, doing the work of a holy and a perfect and a just God, the privilege that that is to be called to do this work for Him. Oftentimes when we preach on sacrifice or service and telling folks we ought to be doing the work of the Lord, sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, that's, uh, that's a hard thing and uh, I guess I have to do it because I'm obligated to. When, when will we get to the point where we realize that that's not the obligation, that's the privilege that we've been given? The Lord said unto him, verse 15, But go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. 
Talk about having some faith. I don't think Ananias gets enough credit oftentimes in our hearts as we read through this passage. This isn't a man who doesn't understand what he's getting ready to walk into. This is a man who even told the Lord, he said, Lord, this guy not only has persecuted the Jews, has not only had the authority over the Jews, but even now, right now, as we speak, he has in his hands letters of authority to arrest them. God told him to go, and what did Ananias do? Did he run like Jonah? Was he fearful? No. He went, I'm not saying he wasn't fearful, but he went anyway. Notice in verse number 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name, this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. I want to share three things that I think that we find in this story for those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. I have known people over the years, and there have been times even in my own life where I have been guilty of uh, growing stagnant in the Christian life, kind of, kind of going through the, 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 the motions of what I know I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm not growing. I wasn't thriving. There wasn't a walk with God that was pursuing and hungering and thirsting to be more of what I ought to be for Him. And I think that we all, to some degree, go through times and periods of our lives where we are not as excited, we're not as on fire for the Lord as we should be. And there are some things, I think, that are taught here that Paul did instantly that were uh, just a, a part of his salvation experience. These were not things that caused him to become saved, but these were things that changed in him once he was saved. And I will say this, that we've read here the, the conversion story of how uh, the Apostle Paul came to trust Christ as his Savior, where he puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, I would say this, that this is from a man who was zealously pursuing after God and, and sincerely believed that he had all the answers when it came to the things of God, and yet he was lost. And the first thing I want to make sure that we point out from this chapter today is, are you saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you put the dependence of the sin's forgiveness on what Christ did on Calvary? Or are you trusting what you can do? Are you trying to live a good enough life and do enough good deeds to erase the bad? The truth is, even the best deeds we have are still bad. They're still filthy rags in the sight of God. There's not enough good that we can do to erase the bad. The only hope you and I have to trust Christ as our Savior is to trust Christ as our Savior and let Him forgive our sins. The Bible uses this word. It's an interesting word we don't use in today's society very much anymore. But it's the word imputed righteousness of Christ. That God takes the righteousness of His own Son and He puts it on my record. 
And when God looks at me, He doesn't see my sinful condition anymore. He sees the righteousness of His only Son that died on the cross one day for my sin. Can I tell you this? He's the only one that can do that. I can't do it. And you can't do it. There's not enough things that we can do in this life that will cause us to have a righteousness before a holy God. The only way we can do it is by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. To put our trust in Him. To say, if I'm going to have my sins forgiven, you're going to have to do it because I can't. If we've never had that point in our life where we've done that, then we're lost. You say, Pastor, that's such an unkind thing. No, no. Unkind would be for me to never tell us of these things. And to allow us to go through life thinking that we were saved when we were truly lost. Again, my intent today is not to get you to question your salvation, but to make sure that you have done this work of trusting the Lord with your salvation. This idea of trusting Him with our salvation. Not not the things that we can do. Not, not the church attendance, not the baptism, not the good deeds. Once the salvation is established, once we have trusted Christ as our Savior, I want us to look at three things that happens here in the Apostle Paul that I think are so vitally important that I think we can learn from. Look with me, first of all, in verse number 19. The Bible says, And when he had received me, he was strengthened, which, by the way, I think there ought to always be a time of strengthening after we're saved. And I know that this is dealing here with physical strength because he had been without meat for three days. But I will say this, that I believe that a lot of the strength of a Christian, most of the strength of a Christian comes from the reading of the Word of God, deepening our roots in its, uh, in its uh, truth and understanding it and strengthening ourselves in God's Word. But I, I want us to look, first of all, here. The Bible says, Then was Saul certain days... With the disciples. Now, understand this. This is a this is a 180 degree turn for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul went from going on the road to Damascus to find these disciples so he could put them in prison. Now he wants to hang out with them. Now he wants to fellowship with them. Now he wants to sit in their homes. Now he hungers and thirsts for knowledge of God. And he wants to be around those that know about the Lord Jesus Christ and were eyewitnesses of of Him and that had seen Christ and had heard His teachings. And he wants to sit with them and he wants to talk with them and understand and to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he got saved, there was a distinct desire that was created inside of him to learn about his Savior. And can I tell you this, that when we get saved, there ought to be a desire for us to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand when a person first gets saved, especially if they've not been in church their entire life, uh, that there's a lot of things they don't know. I understand that. But after you've been saved for two or three or four years, that ought to have changed. There ought to be a hunger and a thirst and a desire to learn about the Savior that has saved you. And it ought to be something that the Holy Spirit just naturally instills in us. There ought to be a hunger and a thirst for the things of the Lord. I'll tell you, I love reading Scripture. I love the times that I have with it where I sit alone and just let it it nourish me and let let it challenge my heart and, sad to say, sometimes convict me. I don't like those so much. But I'm thankful for those times. 
I'm thankful when we when we have the special meetings at church and we get to have more preaching, maybe for a men's advance or or we have a, a special speaker in for two or three nights for uh, a time of uh, special emphasis on uh, drawing close to the Lord and having a revived spirit in our hearts as we come to the things of the Lord. Those are things that I don't look at and and, and grudgingly go to because I know I'm supposed to because I'm part of that church. There are things that I long for because I want to know more about Him. I'll tell you, I want to get excited about learning about my Savior. And have you noticed this? The more we learn about Him, the more excited we do get about the things that we start to learn. It's not a drudgery to us. It's not something that we look at, boy, time to read my Bible today. That's not not the attitude of a Christian. When Saul got saved, he wanted to be around the people who knew about Christ. Christ. He wanted to sit with them and to learn from them. And the Bible says, look with me in verse number 19, And there uh, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. He spent time with them. He wanted to be around them. And then I want you to notice this, number, verse number 20. The first thing was he had a desire, a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. The second thing is he had a hunger and a thirst to proclaim the things of the Lord that he knew. Look in verse number 20, and straightway, straightway, this is an interesting word here. I mean, he just, without distraction, he, he was focused on this. Straightway, he did what? What did he do? He preached Christ. Now, I understand the Bible says that we're not to have women pastors and preachers in the pulpit. But the, the idea of preaching in this sense is proclaiming the gospel. And every single one of us, I don't care if you're a man, woman, or child, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've had a hunger and a thirst to learn about God, and now you ought to have a hunger and a thirst to tell everybody you can about God. Paul straightway, nobody told him he ought to preach. He had not sat in a, in a revival meeting and, and heard a preacher preach on sacrificing and doing the will of God and being called to preach. And he come to the invitation time and he surrendered to preach. This man's been saved all but just a few days here. And he has no other desire than to learn about Christ and to tell others about Christ. Can I encourage us as Christians, maybe we have grown cold in these two areas. Maybe, maybe we have lost the zeal of learning about our Savior and telling others about our Savior. And there needs to come a time, and Paul understood this very well, so much so that when he wrote to Timothy, he said, stir up the gift which is in you. There are times where it's going to need a little bit of fanning of the flames. Last night, we went out back here. Jonathan and I, we were burning some of the wood and trash out here in the back pile because we don't have the big dumpster that we used to have anymore. And we were burning some of the wood. We had some lumber left over from our ramp out here, and we piled it up. I don't know if you noticed or not, but yesterday morning, evening, last evening, week, uh, night before last evening and morning yesterday, it rained. You ever tried to light wet wood and wet cardboard? Didn't want to go very well. We got a couple pieces that were dry, and we stuck them in the bottom of the pile, and it's flaming up a little bit, and it's dying down. It's flaming up a little bit, and it's dying down. I'm sitting in my truck, and I'm watching, and my son's over there. He's kind of half pyromaniac anyway, and he loves playing with fire. So he's over there near that thing, and it's just got a little fire, and it's about to die out. He reaches over, and he picks up a piece of uh, a panel or something there, and he starts fanning the flames. 
And it's just, I mean, he's just all over the place. I, I should have got a, a video of it. It was one of the funniest things to ever watch. And I mean, he's fanning this thing for all he's worth. I thought of that as I was thinking of the message this morning. There's some times when that fire's all but gone. It's dwindling. We've grown cold. And there are times we need to pick up the fan of the Holy Spirit of God and begin to fan it. Say, Lord, I don't want this to go out. I want that zeal. I want that desire. I want that excitement and enthusiasm. I want to hunger and thirst for You and Your knowledge again. I want to hunger and thirst for telling others about You. This was something that just happened in Paul's life when he got saved. The Holy Spirit came inside of him and indwelt him. And it caused him to have a hunger and a thirst for the things of the Lord. It caused him to have a hunger and a thirst for others to know about Him. Then I want you to notice this. In verse number 21, the Bible says, But all that heard Him were amazed and said, Is not this He that destroyed them which called on His name in Jerusalem? And come hither for that intent that He might bring us bound unto the chief priests. But notice verse number 22, In spite of the opposition, uh, the opposition, in spite of the criticism, in spite of those that misunderstood His intent, notice what it says in verse number 22. But saw what? What did he do? He increased the more in strength. You ever have somebody discourage you spiritually, and the first thing you say is, I'm through with this, I'm done. I'm not putting up with that. Somebody criticized me, well, fooey on them. I'm just going to go pout in my pouty chair. I'm going to go over there in the corner and have a pity party. I'm just going to give up. If that's the way it's going to be, Pastor, I just won't do it. That's not what Paul did. Paul got criticized. They said, wait, what's he doing? This hypocrite. He's here. He's here. Ah, he's trying to trick us. That's what he's doing. He's got letters really with authority to arrest us. He's trying to get his foot in the door. I see what Paul's doing. And it was public. They were vocal about it. Did it discourage him? No. The Bible says, but he increased the more in strength. You know what that meant? In the Greek, that means, but he increased more in strength. He didn't let what they had said discourage him. He continued to not only do the things a Christian ought to do, but he increased in them. He grew in them. He had even more boldness and more determination. There was a hunger and a thirst to know his Savior. There was a hunger and a thirst to tell others about his Savior. And when people gave him a difficult time and ridiculed him, there was a strengthening of his soul to continue in those things. <coughs> in preaching over the last number of years of my life, I've often asked this question, what does it take to get you to quit on God? What does it take to get you to stop serving Him? Does it take a set of hurt feelings? Well, you, Brother Greg, you just don't understand what that person said about me. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Can't be any worse than what they were saying about Paul. Well, Brother Greg, you just don't understand the criticism. Well, I've, I've, I've had a little bit of that in my life. I've had people come and question my motives and my intent. I've had people question the way I live my life. I've had people pressure and 
exert peer pressure trying to get me to change from the Word of God. The day and age that we live, there's a lot of pressures for preachers to change what they preach from the pulpit. Paul didn't let it discourage him. What does it take to make you quit? I'll never go back to that church. I got hurt. I, I'll never go. I, I, you know what? That person hurt my feelings. They said something about me. They even put it on Facebook. I'm done. I'm washing my hands. I'm walking away. Not Paul. The Bible says that Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. By the way, anytime we stay faithful through persecution, others don't understand it. They look at that and they scratch their heads and say, I just don't understand why you're still doing that. It confounds them. It doesn't make any sense to them. Be faithful. Be faithful. After many days were fulfilled, verse 23, the Jews took counsel to kill him. <laughs> we'll criticize him. We'll see if that stops him. Nope. Didn't do it. All right, now let's kill him. If it's not going to stop him, let's kill him. Any of you been threatened to be killed for believing in the Lord? Sharing the gospel? Seriously threatened? You don't quit preaching the gospel. You don't quit sharing the gospel with people. If you don't tone down that zeal that you have for God, if you don't just, you know, a little bit that's okay, but, but Saul, you're a little too fanatical here. If you don't, if you don't cut it out, we're going to kill you. What did Paul do? But their laying wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Notice verse number 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Again, even the people he was trying to come to were not friends of his at this point. <coughs> but Barnabas took him. Aren't you thankful for Barnabas's in this life? Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And I want you to notice this. In spite of the threats to be killed for what he believed. Look what it says here in verse 28. And he was with them, what? Coming in and going out at Jerusalem. I love this passage of Scripture. I do. I get a kick out of it. I chuckle every time I read it. He was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wait a minute, Paul, we're going to criticize you. Is that going to hurt your feelings, huh? You're going to quit on God because your feelings got hurt? Come on, Paul, give up. No, not Paul. In fact, he got more and more bold, didn't he? Oh, man, now now we've created a monster. We've made him even more bold. I'll tell you what, this will stop him. Paul, we're going to kill you if you don't quit. (laughs) <laughs> that didn't stop him either, did it? This, this, this man was the man who writes later on, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord, even if it means death. Why? Because even if I die, it's still gain. Somebody said years ago, you can't threaten me with heaven. I'm ready to go. He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, 
But they went about to slay him. I mean, he's been saved a short while. He's been in two different cities. Both of them want to kill him for preaching the gospel. Does that stop him? No. He goes on to tour the then known world and plant churches everywhere he went. Goes on three different missionary journeys that we're aware of. Writes more books in our New Testament Scripture than any other human writer in history. Paul, we're going to kill you. Doesn't matter. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to notice verse 30, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. I get tickled at this. They sent him home. You don't hear about Paul for about two years. Oh, I'm sure he's serving in Tarsus. But you know what's amazing to me? In verse number 28, the Bible says he was with them coming in and going out in Jerusalem. He was with these disciples. He was probably more zealous, from what I understand of Scripture, more zealous than all of them. I kind of get the idea from this passage that even the apostles were like, whoa, Paul, put the brakes on. A little too much here, too quick. Oh, that God would raise up some people that had the fire of the apostle Paul in them. Where the Holy Spirit could use them mightily. Men and women who aren't afraid of the criticism of men. Men and women who aren't afraid of having their feelings hurt sometimes. They're going to be bold for Christ. Does it mean you have to like it when your feelings are hurt? No, I'm not saying that. I don't know anybody that likes to have their feelings hurt. But how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to quit? Or are you going to keep going? I found that when Paul was faithful, it was amazing to see what an extraordinary and a miraculous God could do with an ordinary and infallible and human man. All that Paul did, all that he wrote, all the, all, the, all the service that he gave to God, all the persecution he went through, all the churches that he began, that literally, probably at this point now, millions of souls down through history that are indirectly a result of Paul starting these churches preaching the truth of God's Word. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. God can take somebody sincere. God can take somebody who's just a fallible human and do some extraordinary things through them. But we've got to have a heart like the Apostle Paul did. When he got saved, there was a desire to know Christ. There was a desire to proclaim Christ. And there was a steadfastness, a continued strengthening and growing in his life. If you can put it this way, a fanning of the spiritual flames in his life continuously. What does it take to get us to quit? Do we get to the place in our life where, oh, we read our Bible, but we just don't get much out of it anymore? Oh, we come to church, but, you know, we've been coming for a while, and, you know, they don't have a pianist, the music, you know, it's not, all, it's not as good as it is with the piano. 
they don't have a choir. Or do we come and we feast on God's Word? And we leave excited about what God has done in our hearts and our lives. And we live this week drawing closer to Him. Being more yielded to His will than we did last week. With more zeal, with more excitement. With more desire to do what God has for us to do. I'm thankful God tells us how to be saved. I'm thankful He also tells us how we're to live once we are saved. And I think there's some lessons we can learn from Paul. Paul, we look at as a super Christian, you know, the, the, the spiritual one, the boy, there's nobody that we really admire in Scripture any more than the Apostle Paul. In fact, he's the only writer of Scripture that the Holy Spirit allowed him to write, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. But Paul was an ordinary man who had an extraordinary God who did miraculous things through him simply because he was yielded. Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? Are we willing to follow Christ at any cost? We're entering some days that I'll be real frank with you. There may come a time before the rapture that you and I will have to make a choice. Are we willing to follow God? Are we going to be faithful and steadfast regardless of the cost? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, as we end the service, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will do His work as He... We've prayed that He has been throughout this day and even preparing our hearts to come here this morning. I pray that You would help now that there would be some leading and some encouraging, some challenging, perhaps even some conviction that is brought on the hearts. Lord, that we would...